The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Today's scripture reading is from John chapter 21, verses 4 to 17. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the full net of fish, for they were not far from the land, but a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask them, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Well, I don't know about you, but I really enjoy um, a good documentary. And uh, as of late, Netflix has had a, quite a few different ones, and not just uh, you know one-time documentaries, but many that you can kind of follow along uh, about golf or tennis or you know driving you know Indy cars. I mean, there's all sorts of things you can find now that are kind of following and becoming this kind of binge-worthy opportunity to follow different people's lives. And, and the thing I think I really enjoy and love most about them is the stories that they unfold. And they really kind of get you into the person's life to kind of see what makes them tick. What are the little idiosyncrasies for them, whether they're <clears throat> taking a shot or uh, you know, uh, running a car or whatever they're doing, what goes into that to make them them. But the other side of it that's hard is when you're watching them, inevitably, uh, you begin to see a theme developing. And whether it's a moment or an event or a combination of those, it kind of sets and defines that character that you're watching. It's an actual person on the screen. And 
at moments, there are even times where they, maybe they'll kind of help you move the needle a little bit on what you think of them, but that moment or event defines them. And they take on this kind of life of their own in that uh, documentary. You know, it's one of those things that in our own lives, and especially I know for me, my wife Megan often says, uh, you know, I would turn out like Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite and keep saying things like, yeah, I'll just go back and take state that that would define me if she hadn't married me. But there are things in our lives like that that are moments, that are events, that really hit us and define us and or maybe the fear of a moment or something that defines us that really sets in our hearts in a hard way. Something that, that can be difficult. Something that can, can cause us to say, is this what I'm known for? You know, you watch these documentaries, you watch these, these series that people put out and you go, if people only knew my life, what would they show? What would it be defined by? What is the, the moment or event that... I would be known for. Uh, The disciples in this passage have just gathered after such a profound tragedy that had been going on in their life. The brutal death of their Savior Jesus, who had just happened, what would their hearts be like? For many of them, they're on this boat and they're in their normal lives again, trying to breathe in and out And think about all the things that came to this moment and where they stood in it. What was their proximity to Jesus? What is their relationship to him? What what is this and how does it define them? And for Peter in particular, who we're going to read about, and even from this point on, look at the letters of Peter to, to look at how does this define Peter? Someone who would just a few days ago would have denied Jesus to preserve himself and, and now finds himself going back to normal reality to try and do things like fishing and to try and live his life out making sense of, okay, is this what is going to define me? Is this what's going to be what I'm left with, what I live through? See, what if the resurrection is more than just something that brings us a good feeling or hope? What if it is something that comes as a moment, an event, as I've mentioned with coordinates on a map, to not only tell you that your story and your moments and your events of your life, past, present, and future, are not just what define you, but are swallowed up by another? What if all those things we're afraid of that we think about ourselves or about what's around us are taken up into a glorious event where a man who was actually dead came out of a grave alive so that we know that resurrection, it doesn't just tell us it changes, it goes into the heart of it to change. And particularly for Peter, when we're going to ask two questions from this passage about what Peter was asking. The first one is, is his eyes and he jump, see and he jumps into this water to, to swim to Jesus. His first question is probably, is this for real? <laughs> We're gonna ask that. Is this real? And the second thing is, 
What is my relationship then to him? If this is for real, then how am I really in relationship to Jesus again, knowing all that he had been through? You know, they're in a boat, and so much of life, even relationship to Jesus, particularly for Peter, was connected to being in a boat. (laughs) If you read narrative accounts in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels, the first four books in the New Testament, them being in a boat was crucial often for ministry to them and for Peter. And after Jesus was crucified, Peter would be the one who would be left with his thoughts of thinking, I'm the one that denied him. And not just once, but denied Jesus three times at one of the most crucial points of Jesus' ministry, that he would go back. And where would he go? The only thing he really knew, back in a boat. Back fishing. Back to the place where he could sit with his thoughts and maybe escape from them. Maybe doing his work that he was used to doing on that boat fishing would help maybe escape from it for a little bit. But don't you know that in his moment, in that moment where John says, there's somebody yelling at us. (laughs) We read that this person from the shore that they don't know yet is Jesus says, cast on the other side, you'll catch fish. And John recognizes, and yet Peter hears John say, but it's the Lord, and all he can do is jump in the water. Because it's interesting, of all places for Jesus to meet the disciples, he doesn't meet them in another event. He meets them in their everyday. He meets them in, back in the everyday difficulty of trying to breathe in and out to try and make sense of what's next. Walker Percy, the great Southern writer, said this. He said, it's not the big events that worry me, wars or rumors of wars. In fact, my problem is how to live from one ordinary minute to the next on a Wednesday afternoon. And it is in that morning, in that ordinary time where Jesus comes to meet them, to enter in. And now back in the boat, Peter, knowing exactly where he is, is reminded of all those moments. The moments where he was on a boat with Jesus before and there was a great storm and Jesus calms it. He was on a boat before and he sees Jesus walking out on water supernaturally. And Jesus calls him out and he begins to walk on the water too. All of which where it continues to see these building blocks of his faith. And yet on this boat at this morning, Peter's faith is frail and raw and in pain. Exactly where Jesus wants to meet him. Exactly in a morning that we wouldn't expect, that he wouldn't know. And that every day where Jesus wants to meet him, that this is for real. The resurrection doesn't just touch the big things that we need. It doesn't just touch the whole of what happened two weeks ago. It touches the everyday moments from that point on and that we need desperately, where Jesus enters in. And it wasn't a sermon that Jesus gave them. He said, Cast your net on this side. Children, have you caught any fish? No, we haven't caught anything. Cast on the other side. It was in their moments of every day that he would do that. I remember being in the grocery store 
normal checkout at Publix, think, sitting there getting all the items when, you know, when they ask you at the end, they're like, do you find everything okay? And you're like, yeah, I always just have to come back, you know? And I remember that it was close to Easter, and I remember hearing the, the person who was doing the register and the one who was doing the bagging having a conversation about Easter with me just kind of enjoying the conversation and one of them saying, man, I love Easter. It's so great, so hope-filled. And the other one saying so honestly, man, Easter is tough. It just, I don't like it. And they were like, why? Brings all this pressure. So much pressure in Easter. So much pressure in that moment. I just, it just kind of gets under my skin. You know, for Peter, think about this. The, the, what just happened? He was in pressure. The pressure of everything else surrounding this relationship. It, Easter for many of us may bring that. And if it does, we need to be reminded that is Easter a pressure about religion of what we need to do? Or is it something more? Peter is stuck with his thoughts. Think about this for a moment. Peter is so stuck with his thoughts about the pressure of what he did or didn't do. And that's often what we feel what it means to follow Jesus or what we think it means to follow Jesus is doing right and wrong or am I right or wrong or did I do this right or wrong? Every post we make on Instagram, every way that we live our lives, we want to pose that are we doing it right or wrong? And you know what Jesus does in this moment? He comes in a way that they wouldn't expect in a place that they would live in every day to show them how to deal with the pressure, that it is not about religion. It is about his relationship of coming into their life again. And if Easter brings that pressure for you, I want to I greatly encourage you that maybe miss, miss the point that Jesus is not coming to tell you that you're just right or wrong. He's coming to tell you he has undone every wrong and met you in the right. I, 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 I've said this before to many of you. I remember being in that place, even on an Easter morning, as someone who before I was the pastor of this church, sitting as even an ordained pastor in another church, and all I could think about on an Easter morning as the person was giving the sermon was, oh, I just need to do better. There's no way that Peter could escape that. No way any of the disciples could escape that. Jesus had to meet them in the reality of that. And this is what John, the beloved disciple, says. See, see here's the point. If Easter is just a, a wish or a hope or a metaphorical hope, then it really doesn't meet us in the reality of what we know is true in the heartache and the grief and the difficulty in us and outside of us. If it doesn't really meet us in the real, then it doesn't really address the reality that we need. I love Mumford and Sons. Great band. One of my favorites. Roll Away Your Stone, I'll Roll Away Mine. One of the best songs. They sing, Roll, roll Away Your Stone, I'll Roll Away Mine. Let's see what we will find. But if it stops there, if it, if it, it becomes just your stone and mine, rather than his stone moving away, then it really doesn't get to the horse. Metaphor doesn't help Peter. Metaphor doesn't help someone who's stuck in their denial and shame and difficulty. It doesn't help those 
of us who are in pain and grief or in joy and, and longing of what we really hope for. Will it come true? It has to be real. And not just real in a way of desiring it to be real, but think about this. Verse 12, when it says again, when Jesus said to them, come have breakfast, they get to shore. Can you imagine Peter jumps out and, and actually doesn't tell us whether Peter beat the boat or not, which I think is kind of funny. Can you imagine the other disciples are like, hey, thanks. He's swimming and they kind of pull up with the fish and he's like soaking wet. And they're like, hey, you could we're only 100 yards. You could have helped us. But the reality of, of that longing, and, and at, when they get there, there's already a fire that Jesus with his hands has made. He sets breakfast for them. And they get to sit with Jesus. And they hear this at that. In verse 12, they said, come and have, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Why didn't they ask him that? <laughs> because I think they, it, it begs two questions. One, they knew it was him in every part of their senses. The smell of the charcoal fire, the taste of the fish that they had just caught, so fresh and so delicious, the sound of Jesus' voice, even calling children, that was a paternal way. Who, who yells at people out in the boat who are full-grown adults, children, except for the one who knew them so well that even that word and the way it sounded would land in every one of their hearts in a way of, is that, is that him? And so when they would sit around that fire and we read every detail because this is an eyewitness account, 153 fish, 100 yards from shore, then verses one through four, every name of everyone on that boat, the breaking of the dawn, the way Peter tucked in his, what, his robe. Why do we need to know those details? Because they want us to know you can ask any one of them and they will tell you what it was like to feel, smell, and hear what it was like to sit around that fire and to ask Jesus, is this real? Have you really come forth? Is this really what you're addressing? Is the reality that? The discussion at breakfast would have been incredible. I would have loved to have been a part of that discussion with them. And the details we have that unpack it. And here's the thing. For Peter to know how real it is. That it is not enough for it to be something for Peter. That it just brings hope. Easter Sunday isn't really primarily about hope. And it's not primarily about our longings being met. It actually is this first. It's about a man who lived in flesh like us, who was killed, laid in a grave, and actually came out with breath. One of the songs that we sang earlier, that the breath came back and, and he walked out. That is actually what this day is about. And that, what springs from that in everything else is the hope, is the longings being met, is our very story, our documentary being entered into and what defines it. Because if he doesn't, then what is real? See, the miracle wasn't about the fish to them. They were probably like, this is incredible. The miracle is that he is there 
And because he is and because he lives, it defines who they are. And everything about that relationship they have in him. When Peter reached the shore, what do you think that meeting would have been like? For him to to come up, I'm trying to imagine just pulling himself up and dragging his clothes. You would think he would have left his cloak off, but he wanted to put it back on in order to be proper because he was disrobed for for work. I mean, mean, imagine that was his job. He was used to it. But to get there, and we don't know how much further ahead of the boat he was, but to come up on shore in every moment of getting closer to Jesus, coming face to face with him, what would that have been like? Because he wouldn't just be soaked and dripping wet with the water that he swam through. He would be washed over with all of the memories of his relationship to Jesus. That the very last time he saw him, he denied him in a rooster crowed. And he didn't just deny him once, he denied him three times. What would have made him well? Time, space, the relationship. If Jesus standing in front of him, whole with, with physical body, and yet what were the words that first came out of his mouth? He needed, not only needed him to be there, but he longed for that because time itself wouldn't do it. One of my favorite local artists, a guy named Gabe Dixon, he's a... Uh, Plays incredible, he's an incredible pianist. He plays a song called All Will Be Well. It's actually been on a number of things. One of the best parts of his song, All Will Be Well, All Will Be Well, even after the pro- all the promises you've broken to yourself. If there was anybody who had made more promises to Jesus, it was Peter. Even in that moment when Jesus says, you're gonna deny me three times, he, right before that, Jesus, Peter goes, I would never deny Not even to death. I will fight for you. It is Peter that when he's actually, Jesus is arrested, takes a sword and is the only one to pull it out to try and attack those who are coming to arrest Jesus. And yet Jesus says, Peter, put it away. Because you don't understand. After all the promises you've broken to yourself, where do you go with that? How does that heal us? How does it meet us in the deepest places of what we really need? That we need repair and restoration. When, when breakfast ends, it's interesting that this passage, you could, it could just end with verse 14. This was now the third time that Jesus revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. It could have ended there, and that is very powerful enough, right? That Jesus doesn't just show himself as really alive and in relationship to his disciples once, but multiple times so that they know and that multiple people know this is not just a one-time event. This swallows up every event. But what it actually needed to happen was to meet Peter in one of the deepest parts of who he is. It says, when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord. You know I love you. He said, to him, feed my lambs. He says this three times. Why in the world? Why does Jesus do this? Remember, the week before, this was them riding high. In the Sunday before this one, 
Jesus is riding in Jerusalem triumphantly, and they are following thinking, we have got the right guy. Even though he makes comments here or there that his kingdom is not of this world or the cross is something that he would take up, they did not realize how tragically it would end. And yet what Jesus is doing is meeting him in one of the most profound, difficult places. If you read this, he does it three times. First, because he's meeting Peter in the three parts of his denial. Why Jesus asks him this three times is a pattern to meet him in his three denials, to meet him in every step of the way. But why do that? It almost comes across as provoking because in the very last time he asks him, Peter is grieved by it. He's like, why are you asking me this? But why would Jesus get to that? Because isn't in the, one of the worst, loneliest, most difficult places to us is that we would be left in our denial. Alone with our shame. Alone thinking not only that we deny Jesus in the moments where it's self-preservation, but deny Jesus. Is he really that powerful? Can he really enter into events that we've had in our city, whether the covenant school and church? Is he really strong enough to meet me where I need? Is he really the God that he says he is? And so Jesus not once, but three times enters in, so much so that he does not want, because he's not asking Peter for Jesus' sake. He's asking for Peter's sake to get to the places where he might just say, yeah, yeah, I, you know I love you. So much so that he presses and presses and presses because it's the only way to get into Peter of how much he is loved. And his grief isn't so much that he thinks Jesus doubts him. It's so much that he finally gets it. He finally gets to the real heart of his own denial and lets Jesus meet him there. Because Jesus is not about forgetting everything about us. He is not convenient to us to just meet a part of your life and be a good supplement or say, do you love me? Great. He may even be meeting you and, and others here in a place where he says, do you love me? Do you really love me? Because he's about not part but the whole. One of my favorite stories from C.S. Lewis was about his thought of dentists. C.S. Lewis was an author and a writer that maybe you've heard his name. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. He says this about what his view of dentists are. And if you're a dentist, this should encourage you. He said what it meant to follow him. He said, let me explain. When I was a child, I often had a toothache. And I knew that if I went to my mother, she would give me something which would deaden the pain for that night and let me go to sleep. But I did not go to my mother, not at least until the pain became very bad. And the reason I didn't go was this. I didn't doubt that she would give me the aspirin, but I knew she would do something else. I knew she would take me to the dentist the next morning. 
I could not get what I wanted out of her without getting something more, which I did not want. I wanted immediate relief from the pain, but I could not get it without having my teeth set permanently right. And I knew those dentists. I knew they started fiddling about with all sorts of other teeth, which had not yet begun to ache. They would not let sleeping dogs lie. If you gave them an inch, they took a yard. Jesus meets Peter in depths and in places and in corners of his heart where the denial would linger. And he would still struggle. You read about it in the Bible. It doesn't mean Peter's life would work out perfectly. There are moments where he gets rebuked by Paul for, for not being in relationship with certain people. He, he makes more mistakes. But what Jesus is doing is meeting him and teaching him that he will not let sleeping dogs lie. Because not does Peter love him, but do you know how much I love you? That I'm willing to meet you in every place of the denial. That every part of your moment, event, story, place, your documentary of whatever you think is going to be your heading can be swallowed up with a greater one of how much you're loved. How much he cares for you. And here's the thing that it ends with, in action. And I want to encourage you. It ends with him saying, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, tend to my sheep. He says it over and over. If he's able to shepherd them, it is a massive deal for, for Peter to know, how does he shepherd them? We live in a, in a place where there's articles all over the place, replete on the internet of what it means to meet compassion fatigue. And even if you're not in a place of help, compassion fatigue is something that, that hits us all. We came out of a, a, a year, two years, or more of that with COVID and amongst other things. And it has only grown in our culture. How does that change? How does a church be called to action to shepherd and love one another? Peter had to learn this by knowing it's not his sheep, but Jesus says, feed my sheep. That they are his. And that the compassion can only be met when we know and realize what is the depth of Jesus to have his compassion on us. Peter was forgiven. Peter knew this, but he had to see it deeper so that he could have a major role of loving others more deeply than he would ever think. I want to encourage you with two things this morning as we close. One is, if, if you're here this morning and you've never actually met Jesus, and maybe you've said, yeah, I love Jesus. I love for who he is. I, I love the fact that he he makes great claims. I love the fact that he brings encouragement to me. I love the fact that he brings good teachings. But you've never had impressed so much that you realize how loved you are in the places that you would never post and never want somebody to know because that in your heart of hearts and in your mind of mind defines you. I encourage you to come to him. If you've never come to faith in him, come to faith in Christ. That means looking to him to know that his story 
transforms and swallows up and makes sense of ours. And if you would say you do know him, to be encouraged to the depths, the only way we can love one another and actually show, and this is what the defining marker that Jesus said, what does it say? They will know you are Christians by your love. How in the world do we do that? When oftentimes we are fatigued and don't feel it. We can only do it if we know that there is a great shepherd. And I guess what? Our city needs it. There are people in our midst that need it in ways that you may not even know that are sitting around you. We are going to need each other. The, what has happened with us and in us and towards us that has led to this week that which we needed is to meditate more on what it means for our Savior to enter in so that we can leave this morning from this lawn and love with a love that we can, is a resource that we ourselves can't mine out, but that has only been given to us. And this comes from the resurrection and the life of our living Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Lord, it would be Peter who would write later, the one Peter who saw Jesus, walked with him in his ministry, and yet writes in his letter to those of 2 Peter and, and us that we actually have something more sure than he did. <laughs> I don't even know how to begin to, to, to grapple with that. But what he wanted us to know is even though he, we didn't see and we don't see the body of Jesus in front of us. We have something more sure, the word of God that says that if he has come once and he has proclaimed it and he has fulfilled it and not even death could hold him, he will come again. And we're living in a moment right now where every second that passes, we await and long for us to live in the hope and glory of the living Savior Jesus. Thank you, God, that you are not dead. You are alive. And because you do that in physical, real time, our hope is real. It's not a wish. It's not a hope that it happens. It is a hope that is anchored in what is true. And you have actually felt what we feel and rise again to meet us and to look at us and say, children, Children, I love you. Pray and ask these things that we would live in as your daughters and sons. In Jesus' name, amen.